Oh, what a week it was in so many ways for the theme of the familiar and the unfamiliar, of the obvious and not so obvious, or the glossed over and the clearly visible. Me personally, I, it began last Friday night with a gathering here in, the, in our shul of our interfaith community called Stranger No More. The Stranger No More group, almost a hundred and some odd people downstairs last Friday night to discuss what it's like to be a stranger in a community which almost always assumes that people that walk in are Jewish. What's it like to feel a sense of belonging to a Jewish community when you're not Jewish? What's it like to have a family, a Jewish family, when one of the partners is a minister? And then it continued on Wednesday with a conversion in our community for an absolutely amazing man, Tomas de Mouchot. And it culminated this week of inside, outside, familiar, unfamiliar, culminated with me having a conversation with one of our amazing young people here in the community. He was a rabbinical student at JTS. And we were sitting around a table on, uh, I think it was Thursday night, and he said to me, it was Wednesday night, he said, I said to him, you know, there's something about the hands. I don't even know how we began the conversation. And I started talking about how the hands, for me, are an expression of, of the altogether obvious that I take for granted, my hands. And he said, oh, Heidegger has a whole thing about that, he said. So of course, when someone says Heidegger, my ears and my heart and my mind. He said Derrida, the great French philosopher, had an article about Heidegger's notion of the hands. That the hands are at once both one of the most intimate moments of personal identification. It's my hand and my hands in the world. And as such, it represents a part of me that is the extension of me. It's my furthest reach. And it also works in the world to create that which is not me. It's a technology that creates outside of me. It, it's technological. Get that, David? It's technological. Hands. And what opened before us was a, a field of conversation about the familiar and the unfamiliar, about that which is at hand, and that, that which is offhand, beyond. Something so distant, so as to seem disconnected. And when we had the conversation, I immediately thought about another moment this week for me, where I was on Sunday, took a little trip with my family up to to pick apples. Anybody here ever pick apples? Pick apples? Apple pickers? I never picked apples before. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> you know, it's... I feel like a really urban Luddite, but a bit like... I went up and I couldn't believe my eyes. There were actually trees. 
and I and I and we stopped the car by you know and and we saw people with you know different tools and they were hitting things and that kind of thing and and I walked out with the boys and I and I walked toward a tree and I was like wow there are apples on this tree it's not like a, it's not a myth you know it's not they actually do come from trees and you can eat them off the tree and it was an immediate moment of uh, a powerful moment of transformation from the consumer place of distance to something that was with our own hands we were taking a, an apple and we were putting it into a bag that now we have too many of that to make applesauce and apple cider <laughs> on Tuesday afternoon at uh, one o'clock we've begun here in Romamua lunch learning program and the text I chose to teach for that hour of learning is called Misilat Yesharim, The Path of the Just. It's a 18th century mystical work. Well, it's not really mystical, really, but it's a book of ethics. And the author begins it with a very counterintuitive statement. He says, I didn't begin this book to tell you things that you don't already know. In fact, I'm not going to tell you anything new. But rather to remind you of the things that you forget not because they are forgettable, but because they are so obvious and so present for you in your life that their presence makes their forgetting inevitable. You take them for granted. And this book he writes is a book to remind you. It's a reminder manual of what it is that is so at hand, but that you don't see. It is so familiar that it becomes forgotten because of its very familiarity, ironically. The thing that is closer to you than your own breath. The things that are legion, that we forget about all the time, that are there and obvious, and because they are so obvious, we forget about them. So hard to make the familiar unfamiliar in a way where it becomes seen again, or seen perhaps for the first time, really seen. And I bring that up because today, as children are walking everywhere in costumes, playing a game of hide-and-seek in plain view, making the familiar unfamiliar, where permission is granted for that which is obvious, your identity, for you to play a different one. We will be reading tomorrow morning about a heroic couple who had the courage to take that which was familiar and leave it. To take that which was obvious and given and walk away in order to reclaim it possibly or to look for something different. Avram, Abraham, the knight of faith in Kierkegaard's language. Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah. We don't know much about them other than that Abraham was already on a journey. His father Terah had taken him from his place of Haran, and they had gone. And the only thing we know is that Abraham had a destination. It was called Canaan. He was going to go there because his dad told him to go there. He had been going according to the expectation of his father, bringing his family with Terach. The Torah says nothing else about Abraham, not a word. He was on a journey. And the only thing we know about his partner in that journey, Sarah, is what the Torah tells us that she is married to this journeyman 
and that she is akara ein la valad. She is barren. Akara, A-K-A-R-A, akara ein la valad. She doesn't have a child. And that should signal in all of us as close readers of the text something that Aviva Zornberg points out in a text that is replete with toledot, with these are the generations and these are the generations and these are the generations to tell us that a woman is ein la valad, that she is identified by that which she doesn't have, her negative capacity in Bergson's term. She, she's recognized by absence, not presence. She is akara, she is barren. Lacking. And these two amazing people become the examples of the seekers. Propelled by a sense of journey begun before them. Propelled by a sense of absence and lack. Sarah and Abraham want something. And wanting is always the beginning of searching. There's something missing. Jürgen Habermas, the great German philosopher, wrote a book called What is Missing? That which is missing. What's missing? And Abraham wants to know what's missing. And the word akara, which means barren, also means to be uprooted. It's an agricultural term. She is uprooted. They are uprooted. They are willing to uproot themselves from the soil of familiarity, of literally of family, in order to seek that which they don't yet have. Because there's a sense of lack. If there's anything that destroys successful synagogues, churches, mosques, temples, is that we become smug in having found the truth. Right? Ironically, once we feel chosen, we stop looking for that which we need. Oh, I found it. Oh, it's great. It's all I need. To be a son or a daughter, to be a child of Abraham and Sarah is to be willing to leave familiarity, to uproot ourselves from that which was taken for granted, that which was at hand in order to find some space, some distance, some way of looking at it in a way that sheds some of our smug sense of discovery. I think it's also very powerful to think that Abraham's intellectual journey, his willingness to look at the world differently, was what the Midrash plays out as Abraham's unique gift to the world. That Abraham, in the Midrashic mind, was walking along one day, and he looked out at the world, and he thought, is it possible that there's a world without a creator? Huh. In other words, he looked at the same sky, the same earth, the same experience in nature and said, wait a second, I thought I knew what this is. You mean this isn't what I thought it was? Anybody ever hear of Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind? Anybody hear that book by D.T. Suzuki? Well, if you haven't, go get it. Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. He says, to be enlightened is to see the world through beginner's mind. Because in a beginner's mind, everything is possible. But in an expert's mind, they already know. Anybody here an expert? I'm the only one that's going to own that? Come on. I mean, come on. Abraham and Sarah are the paradigms of living authentically. Authentic living 
Which, by the way, interestingly enough, the word authentic comes from the word authentis, which means by hand. Hand to hand. They lived with that which was close becoming unfamiliar. They are famously the mother and father of all converts. In this week's Parsha, it says, Vayetsu Micharan. And they took with them as a nefesh They took with them the souls that they made in Haran. The rabbis say they converted. Sarah would convert, and Abraham would convert different people. They had a knack for making people feel at home, which is why Wednesday morning's conversion was so powerful for me. Because every conversion that a rabbi or a clergy member is privileged to be present at. There's a naming, and we name the person, and we say, your name will be called amongst your brethren, amongst your community, so-and-so, daughter, son of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah. We say, you are an expression of the courage that Abraham and Sarah had to leave the familiar behind, to look at the world with distance enough to see it in a fresh way, in a beginner's way. To keep searching, to keep seeking, to have the courage to cross over. Abraham's name was the boundary crosser, to cross over boundaries. All of this is a way of saying that I think Abraham and Sarah are the first queer Jews. (laughs) And I know that when I say the word queer, at least according to my executive director and others, there is controversy in, within the LGBT community whether or not we should be appropriating that term, whether you like it, you don't like it. But tomorrow afternoon, I was supposed to be on a panel to talk about queering Torah and queer theory. Queer theory, if you don't know what it is, is a theory that is defined that there's an interval between what a subject does, their role-taking, and what a subject is, the self. That queer theory seeks to create destabilization in rigidities and fixities of sexual orientation and gender. Accepted norms and normativity to stand outside of what we've assumed to be the truth and to be willing to cross over the boundary into a place of practicing hand-to-hand living, authentic living. That within the space that we create from those who have arrived to those who are still seeking. That's what queer theory, theory, seeks to do. So I want to queer the Torah tonight. I want to say that I wish that Abraham and Sarah would bless me too. In my moments of deep familiarity with my own patterns in life, I know the story so well. And transformation only begins when we stand to the side of our story and say, is that the only response you have, Ingber? You've been doing that for 45 years. Don't you think it's time you took this perspective? Don't you think you took maybe this perspective? Don't you think it'd be time to wear a different mask and knock on the door of your neighbor and say, do you have some candy for me? (laughs) 
Think about that. If your average stranger knocked on your door on a Wednesday night in New York City and said, trick or treat. Are you kidding me? In New York City? Parading up and down Columbus, Amsterdam, Broadway, West End, is each and every one of us in Abraham's drag, asking for some sweetness because we know how to change where we stand, because we're willing to step out of the familiar and into the unfamiliar. That is what it means to be a son, a daughter, a child, a human being who is of Abraham and Sarah. So I want to bless each and every one of you and bless me too. May this community of seekers, of people who are willing to courageously step from certainties to flexibilities, from places of deep, in, entrenched senses of knowing, to honor in each other that which is not at hand, that which is slightly unknown and unfamiliar. And God should give me and you and all of us the courage to be willing to step outside of the various roles that we play and the various knowings that we know, to live without the glove that we almost always wear, to take it off, to shake hands with reality, gloveless. The whole world, everyone, is in our hands.